0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. There are businesses that are talking that this is not an isolated incident. Landlords and business owners have said they'd warned police months ago in regards to the escalating anti gentrification actions and vandalism incidents. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Rachel Braithwaite, Barton Village BIA, and is with us now. Rachel, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this.
1: Pleasure, Scott. really appreciate the attention you're giving it.
0: So what's going on here?
1: We'd love to know. (laughs) Um, It's been a bit of a a mess, for for lack of a better word, for a long time now. And and it's frustrating because, you know, you're you were hearing certain people saying, oh, what a shock. But it shouldn't be a shock because, you know, back in September, we had a meeting at City Hall saying something needs to be done. Businesses are are being victimized and attacked and attacked. And, you know, this has been going on for several years now. And and it, it's frustrating that it's had to escalate as as far as it has for people to step up and take notice.
0: Where is where is the mayor on this? Where are councilors on this? Where's the police on this?
1: I I'd love to know. I mean, I know they they have a lot to do, and they they have to do their due diligence, and I get that. And yes, there's always two sides of the story. But we feel like we've been uh, let down and my members feel like they've been let down because they're not hearing the side of the story where we keep trying to tell them we're getting attacked. We're getting, you know, um, you know, people are are attacking us through social media, through physical violence, through postering, through, you know, these kind of things. And it's been going on for a while and not just on Barton Village, but but other areas of the city as well. And um, you know the, the police have, have their responses. We're looking into it, but that's all we're getting, and and sometimes not, not even getting that. Um, so it is a bit frustrating. Sure.
0: Do you know the origins of this group? Who these people are? Who they're being supported by?
1: There are definitely um, some names that keep popping up for sure, um, and and there's definite places you can go to do a bit of research on that. Um, So, I mean, I'm sure you've spoke with people like Bill Curran and Krista Boyer and so forth. They have been kind of in the throes of things since the get-go, especially Krista, um, who, you know, did take, you know, the the initial vandalism piece at at the Tri-Hamilton Initiative several years ago, where they... It was physical violence. The mayor was present. Other counselors were present.
0: Again, there's my point. There's my point here in all this, Rachel. Like, the mayor was Mm -hmm. present. There's counselors present as these people show up and and start beating up and beating up buses and scaring bus drivers away. So how are they not reacting to this? They were there. It's like them standing on Lock Street.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I think it's a little bit the, you know, you don't want to admit there's a problem kind of thing. But we keep trying to tell them there's an issue. And yes, it's a bigger issue. You know, gentrification um, isn't a good word for everybody. And so, yes, there are steps that need to be happening to, to fix that as well. But you also need to listen to the other side, where the the, the small business owners are the ones that are, are taking the downfall for the fact that the city hasn't got plans in place to, to protect against gentrification. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's yeah. just very... Why should a small business owner that's invested thousands of dollars, their time, their energy, their love, their life in their business, be the one to suffer because there's certain people in the community that feel that they are being pushed out. And, and, you know, I'm not um, diminishing their their thoughts and feelings. That is happening. Gentrification is happening. I won't deny that. But a small business owner plays a very, very small part in that you need to go to the city and you need to go to the policies and procedures and you need to fix those to make a bigger difference.
0: Uh, how do you deal with this gentrification in this positive time of city growth?
1: Um I think awareness is is huge for sure and um and respect for for all sides. Um, you know it, it's a very tough one because Pretty tough
0: to have respect for people that are beating up small business.
1: <laughs> well, so my respect goes so far and I've got to admit it kind of stops me to take violence as a method to show your your thoughts and concerns because that I have no respect for. So
0: Well, it's <laughs> just odd, you know. know I concerned. I've been in this city since 1990 and and you know, uh, we've been working for 25 years to try to get to try to start what's happening now and people are trying to stop it.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's where it's frustrating, right? Because Hamilton is amazing. And it's a huge asset and gem that we have that has been hidden. And sure, it's been ours for a while. And other people are starting to notice that it's that great asset, that gem, and want to be part of it. And I, I don't get why we wouldn't open our arms and say, sure, share with us as opposed to get out. Do you know what I mean? So uh, That's not the Hamilton I know.
0: I hear you. So you have a certain amount of sympathy for this cause.
1: Um, with regards to gentrification, mm-hmm. um, I'm aware that it's happening, um, and I'm aware that, that plans and policies need to be put in place to, to support those that are getting displaced. But I also realize that revi- revitalization has to happen. It's just part of nature kind of thing. Um, and you know, I support the the business owners and the property owners that are coming in, that are taking an empty building, improving it, making it better, opening a storefront that adds so much more to that that street.
0: So are there? Is, so storefront. there, you you know, you talked about them them taking an empty building and then doing something with it. Uh, mm-hmm. But obviously, these people are complaining because they're being pushed out onto the street and have absolutely no place to go. Is that Mike? Is that am I correct in in, in assuming that?
1: yes yes you are and the, I mean their other complaint is yes it was an empty building that's been revitalized but because that empty building's revitalized the building beside it now increases their rent right so that's their argument but it it's not a reason to stop revitalization it's a reason to put to go to the city and push for more affordable housing to you know to push to have more uh, leeway with developers so it's not just a you know, like the plan for downtown where it's going to be 30 stories high and anybody can get it. You know, the city needs to realize Hamilton has something that people want and not just keep, you know, bending over to whatever developers want. Yes, we want developers, and yes, that's great, don't get me wrong, but we need to make sure those developers care about our city too and aren't just coming here for money.
0: Do you blame blame the city partially for this violence in the sense that they're not listening to these people?
1: Um, a little bit. It. It. I won't lie. Sometimes it's hard to listen to those people when you know, like, what happened. How do you listen to violence? It. It's not easy, right? So, do
0: these people represent the majority of people in this scenario? Do you find <clears throat> like, I'm, are they all deciding to rebel? Uh, what are the rest doing?
1: No. 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 I. I would say that there's a small handful that are using physical violence and then they're encouraging their friends from outside of the city to come and make a big mess. Um, I would say that, that there are more local residents that are, I mean, I was at the plan for, for the people's downtown last night and the room was packed with people that care about their city and want our government and our, our council to basically step up and say we care too and we're going to do things. You know what I mean? Um, is this think,
0: about, so on Lock Street, is this about gentrification or is this being about, uh, is this about being ungovernable? Because, you know, whether exactly. there's gentrification or not, whether there's public housing or not, ungovernable just doesn't slice it in a public housing development or in, uh, I don't know, wherever the yeah. rich people live as far as they're assuming.
1: Well, I think that's the issue, right, is they say they have a cause, but nobody knows what the cause is. Well, and, and if you, you read. Can't the, articulate that through violence.
0: And if you Google anarchists and, of course, read the website and the comments on what happened, I mean, somebody uses, uh, you know, uh, uh, an analogy of, you know, maybe the store owner's down there washing floors with me, but he owns the floor. I don't. That's got nothing to do with gentrification.
1: No, it's somebody's personal feelings and that got hurt at some it's, point. So let's go smash a window. Like, how is that? That's just ludicrous.
0: So where do you think this is going, Rachel? Where do we go from here?
1: Well, you know what? With Lock Street, the community came forward. So, it, you know, the community stepped up, not necessarily the police, not necessarily the city, until the community made the first step. And I think that's huge, and that really is telling for Hamilton as a whole. That's The community is our asset, right? And so the fact that they're out there supporting small businesses, that's huge. And... And the more we can get of that, um, you know the more positive we can get, the more open communication we can get. I think, I think that's important for sure. Um, what about you your local Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to say you know, development can be good. I mean, look at Westinghouse on Barton Street. It's sat empty for over 30 years and it's getting completely redeveloped by a wonderful investor, local people. It, it's huge for this area and I think that's key is we need good developers coming in who care about this city. And we're very lucky on Burton Street that we have some wonderful, wonderful property owners coming in. They're not sitting on empty buildings speculating for the market. They're transforming, you know, buildings that, that need some TLC and really making a difference.
0: Uh, have you heard from the councillors in your area on this?
1: Um, unfortunately not. Um So that we, we would be have,
0: that would be green and marilla in your area?
1: Um for so my area, it's just uh, predominantly just councilor Green. Um we did have a meeting with councilor Green back in September. Um and he wasn't um as supportive as some of my members would have
0: appreciated. Why not? Um
1: he he's I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, right? It's up for him to to, to answer. The unfortunate
0: thing is he's not being very vocal right now. He's not really answering our calls or wanting to come on.
1: No, it's very frustrating because he seems to be very good at fighting for a cause. And, you know, my members were very disappointed that they weren't supporting him um, when they were being victimized because a number of my businesses have been very victimized through this. And personally attacked. Um,
0: when you so talk it, about it, those attacks and, and victimization, what do you mean? Give us some examples.
1: Um, so the Heather, Matt, and Meg from the Heather have been very, very victimized through this. So they've had um, Google reviews that have been fake that have really decreased their ratings through Google. Um, fake news. Have, yeah.
0: My God.
1: <laughs> they they have had windows smashed. They've had articles written about them through the tower, um, which is a local anarchist group that have put photos of the Heather saying basically go smash these windows um, and go attack the owners, don't just smash the windows. They've had people, you know, spitting at them. They've had a May Day parade right in front of them with police presence where the people were throwing things at their windows and spitting at their windows. And and it just, just happens and nothing gets done. So, you know, and that's just a small portion of what they've had done. So they are feeling very, very victimized and, and unsupported, if I'm honest with you, which is unfortunate, because uh, I know Hamilton is better than that. And, and it's not that the community hasn't supported as much as it, it's the city hasn't supported and the police hasn't supported them personally.
0: Wow, that is disappointing. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's head down to the United States. Our dollar, as well as global stocks, fell after Gary Cohen, a key White House advisor, strong advocate of free trade, quits. Are the fears of a trade war real? Let's bring in Ian Lee, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. He is with us now. Ian, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, after the election, uh, President Trump was boasting about the stock market going up. Of course, uh, recently it has fallen back down again. And then, of course, after hearing uh, this information, it has fallen again, specifically around tariffs yep. and and such. Uh, can you play both sides of the street on this, Ian?
2: Um. I don't think so. I, I think that the this crystallized the resignation of Gary Cohen, uh, who was the most prominent free trader in the Trump White House. he uh, Colhen is the former a former president of Goldman Sachs and uh, no question he was a, a free trader uh, and big free trader. and his resignation is seen by the capital markets as a negative signal, a signal that there will be no restraints or constraints on President Trump concerning tariffs. And if I can just back up for a moment uh, for the benefit of your uh, listeners, I mean, the tariff issue is really just the flip side of the free trade debate. Mm -hmm. And I mean by that the whole point, or not the whole point, but a significant part of the discussion over the last 10, 20, 30 years about liberalization of trade agreements has been to reduce tariffs. In fact, and I'm not trying to get deep into history, but the GATT was set up right after the Second World War, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, It eventually morphed into the WTO, and it was set up precisely because of the belief that the Depression in the 30s had been exacerbated and made a lot worse by the trade wars. The tariff protection wars that occurred in the 1930s, beggar thy neighbor policies. One country would say, okay, we're going to stick it to you guys. We're going to put tariffs up by 10 or 20 percent, you know, on your country. And then that country would retaliate with counter tariffs and so on and so on. So in 1945, when they were setting up the United Nations, and this is well documented, by the way, they had a big debate, how can we create a more stable world order so we don't have more world wars or depressions? And they created the UN, and they created the IMF, and they created a whole bunch of organizations, including GATT. And then the idea was, let's move towards the slow reduction of tariffs, because they impede trade, they slow down trade, they reduce our standard of living. And so for the last... From then until now, there's been a consensus in Canada, the United States, amongst all po- major political leaders in Europe, that trade is a good thing and the trade barriers, principally called tariffs, should be reduced over time. And then along comes this guy called Trump, and he really throws the uh, the wrench into the uh, <laughs> into the into the works. And uh, this is uh, frightening the markets, understandably so. Because they know that this is not going to, what Trump is proposing, putting tariffs on, could lead to a trade war, and that will reduce growth, it will reduce opportunities, it will reduce prosperity, etc. And this is not a good thing for anybody. So that's why they're frightened about this, and there's no way that Trump can spin his way out of out of this uh uh, this mess that he's in right now.
0: Uh, many were asking if there was going to be exemptions. He doubled down again and said, no exemptions, no exemptions. And now we're hearing rumors that there might be exemptions.
2: Yes. I I actually, because uh, I saw Speaker Ryan just yesterday afternoon um, on CNN, speak very eloquently for targeted and surgical yeah. tariffs. And by the way, I'm not one of these, you know, I'm not living in the ivory tower saying, you know, it's a perfect world and everybody's perfect and nobody screws up, and blah, blah, blah. I have, I've never suggested, I don't think any serious person on this, suggests that you should never use tariffs. The argument that has emerged, the conventional wisdom, the, the, the consensus, is that you only use tariffs as a last resort, not a first resort, and you only use it when the other side, some of the country, is cheating. And, and so there is a compelling argument to impose them against China. Now, somebody might say, well, that's easy You to say you don't like China. Well, I love China. I mean, I'm going there next week to teach, as I do every year. But the U.S. government agency that looks into dumping, which is where a company sells their own products below cost in another country, that agency in both Europe and in the United States, after studying it for a year and a half, two years, massive amounts of evidence and data and statistics and so forth, came to the measured judicial conclusion, it's essentially a trade court, that China was dumping steel. In that instance, it's warranted, it's justified to impose tariffs on China because the regulatory rule of law process determined they were cheating. And, and, I mean, really, they did massive, massive research on this. And these studies are public, by the way. So what Trump should be doing, and that's what Speaker Ryan said, was do surgical uh, uh, tariffs. Imposing it on the people cheating. And Canada is not cheating on steel or aluminum. So I think there's still a good, a good chance that uh, saner heads will prevail and that he will go the surgical route and just impose it on China, which at the same time would probably be very popular politically in the United States.
0: And also, he's you know, he's he's uh, lumping this in with NAFTA and using it as, yeah. as leverage and saying you know, uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to, there's no exemptions uh, this is it, this is the way it is 10% on aluminum, 25% on steel, uh, no exemptions and then he turns around and says, well you know, if we get a better deal with NAFTA then I might loosen that. So in the end, can't we all see how this is going to end up? He's going to stand up and, and, and spew some poppycock about how uh, he got some sort of better trade deal, and that's why he's relaxing the tariffs, and we can all go back to our perspective corners.
2: I do. I, yes, yes. Uh, I do think that he has decided, I mean, it's very clear, I think, from his tweets in the last 72 hours, that he decided to uh, link the tariff issue to the nafta debate uh, negotiations and uh he i think is because i'm reading his tweets and interpreting them and it seems logical you know what he's saying i mean the, the, the logic i'm going to present seems to be the only thing we can infer from this is that he's decided he wants to put some more pressure on us to uh, make some concessions in the negotiations for nafta and he thought well here's our real handy dandy weapon <laughs> you know, I'm going to announce tariffs anyways on some countries around the world. Let's throw Canada into the mix and Mexico and then say to them, oh, by the way, you know, if you back off on some of these other issues that we're negotiating in NAFTA, I'll back off on the tariffs on your steel and your aluminum. So I think it's, a, yet again, it's another form of a bullying tactics, if you want to call it that, and it is part of his uh... tactics to put pressure heat on the negotiators including on the canadian leaders and the mexican leaders the cabinet of each country to make concessions in the negotiations i'm i'm still not sure he's going i don't think he's going to follow through partly because the trade is so balanced between the two countries and secondly everyone agrees i'm talking in the industries involved the steel industry the auto industry and so forth on both sides of the border, not just the Canadians saying, oh, don't, you know, it's going to hurt us. Both sides of the border, the business class are saying, this is going to hurt us. And uh, those voices are getting through to the president because they have a pipeline through the the 85-year-old multi billionaire who is the Commerce Secretary of President Trump. And that guy is talking, of course, to President Trump and his business buddies out there in the steel industry and the auto industry are yelling at him. <laughs> and that message, I think, is getting through to Donald Trump.
0: Uh, he, you know, he was, on, he was on last night even saying that you know he enjoys trade wars, he enjoys pitting people in his own company against each other to yeah. try to get the best of them. At what point does everybody, uh, world leaders, business, whatever, do they just sit back and go, let him run out of gas? He's just yeah. a blowhard. And when yeah. he finishes, yeah. we'll go back in and do a deal. I mean, at what point do they just say, yeah, we'll meet with you on Friday once you finish tweeting?
2: God, I think that's very prescient. Uh, most people are not saying that right now. Um, that thought had occurred to me as well as you, and um, and you said it, and it's a very sharp uh,
0: idea, because uh, they must be talking about this in boardrooms, Ian. I mean, they well, must be saying point. we've got to play this guy like a fiddle.
2: That, that's that, exactly so. And second, I mean, there's a couple of other variables that support what you're saying. I mean, the clock is running down to the next election. Uh, You know, it's only 2020 is not that far away. And people are starting to realize, look, the guy is 72, 73. You know, he doesn't look to be in the best of health and he's overweight. Um, I'm not being cynical or suggesting anything. It's just that and there's no guarantee he's going to win again. Uh, And so people are starting to say, well you know, okay, you know, he goes off on these tirades and these tantrums, temper tantrums, and maybe we'll just wait him out, knowing that the, on the assumption that the next person who replaces Trump is not going to be anywhere near as bad. I certainly think that. I think he's an aberration, or in the language of polling, you know, they talk about a rogue poll. He's a rogue president. And I don't believe he's a run of the mill routine president. There's been no president like him up until now and when you look at all the potential uh candidates on both sides uh Republican and Democrat, there's nobody remotely like Trump. so you know literally three years from now, this could all be just a uh, a memory and and so there' I'm sure there's peoples already saying, "Look, let's just string him along, go along with him, placate him without giving away anything." And just run up the clock.
0: Because at the uh, end of the day, do businesses have time for this, Ian? I mean, do they have time to be to run and then stop and then go back, then run, stop and go back? Well, I mean, you know, let his party do the fighting. Sure. Let, them, let them, you know, try Sorry, to figure I, out the guy out.
2: You're absolutely right. What I was talking about were other leaders. I was referring to European leaders, uh, Canada and so forth. You're quite right. In the corporate world, it's different because you have to make decisions daily about building a new plant in hamilton or in sainte marie or in in ottawa or in chicago or whatever and these are big big capital decisions are we going to go into a new country? Are we going to launch a new product line? These are not trivial decisions, and you can't put them on hold for three years. Business works in real time in the immediate moment. The stock markets process real-time information. They can't say, well, let's put this all on hold, and we'll come back and uh, study it and for three years and then and make a decision three years from now. And, and so what it's going to do and what it's doing in Canada we're seeing this and the bank of canada talked about this yesterday is that a lot of businesses are holding back and say you know what we're not going to make that decision uh... uh because we don't want to risk putting um, uh, major amounts of capital investment into canada when we don't even know what's happening in canada vis-a-vis for example nafta and and i don't mean that they're going to wait for three years i mean they're going to wait to see how it the outcome of nafta and then they may decide to relocate To the United States. So the corporate world doesn't have the luxury of postponing and kicking the problem down the road for three years. They can kick it down the road for three months or four months, but I don't think they'll kick things down the road for three years, whereas the leaders, the political leaders can. Uh, And I'm talking about the countries, the European countries, the Chinese leadership, uh, Canadian, Mexico, and so forth.
0: Uh, Bank of Canada announcing that it's going to keep interest rates level because of the uncertainty yes. in the United States. Is this slowing the world down?
2: Uh, I think that's the risk. I do think that's the risk because the, the worst, uh, the, uh, a lot of people that aren't in business say, oh, businesses, you know, their number one beef is taxes and they hate taxes. Actually, I don't agree with that. Um, the number one fear or the number one risk to business is uncertainty. They hate uncertainty because then they don't know what's going to happen. How can you make plans about whether you're going to invest $5 billion to build a new auto plant, for example, uh, if you don't even know what the rules of the game are, if you don't know what the corporate tax rate is going to be for the next five years, if you don't know whether there's a trade agreement or not? And so uncertainty is the worst enemy of business. And so, with all this massive uncertainty and chaos caused by Trump, it's going to cause some businesses to put capital investments on hold. It's already happened in Canada. And it may start happening in other countries, principally the United States. And if that happens, it's going to slow down the economy. And so I don't think uh, Trump may think this is a very clever management strategy. You know, chaos theory, make everything chaotic, and and so forth. I, I don't agree with that. That's certainly not what I teach in my classes, and it's certainly not my experience when I worked in the bank nine years ago. That's not how Canadian banks work. Let me tell you, they're the opposite of chaos. They want lots and lots of stability, you know, and, and so I, I think he's making a big mistake but, you know, he's the president and but it, I think the risk is, as you just noted, is it, yeah, there's a very serious risk, it can slow down the, the world economy and the U.S. economy
0: When you have people like Pi- Paul Ryan you know, speaking out against this, and, and there have been lots, of course uh, the, the recent resignation and such, there's like 36 states who aren't with him on the free trade thing yeah, yeah. is he really as powerful as he makes it out to be? Himself to be the, you,
2: you know. Ro, uh,
0: can you go uh, against thirty six states and, right, and right, Paul right. Ryan and everyone else? No, no. no. You're, you've asked an excellent question. His power, the power
2: of the presidency, is actually not so much in a legal sense as it is, a, uh, as it is that he's got the power of what Theodore Roosevelt first coined a hundred and twenty years ago, the power of the bully pulpit. He can command the world media attention instantly with a with a tweet with a press conference he calls a press conference he doesn't have to worry if, if people are going to show up and cover it everybody shows up to cover it yeah. it is the president of the free world the president of the largest economy in the world speaking of course he's got political power he can sign executive orders to abrogate environmental regulations and or impose new ones and so on and so forth and i'm not trivializing those powers but as we know they have a bicameral system, meaning a Senate and a House, and they have to pass every bill. The president cannot just say, I'm announcing a new bill and signing into law if the Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives tell him to go jump in the lake. He does not have that authority. People don't realize that. He's got to get a House, the House and the Senate, to pass any bill, including the budget itself. All he can do is do things called executive orders, but they're not, they don't have the same permanency as an actual bill signed into law. Nothing is more certain and absolute than a law. And if he doesn't have those states on board or those congressmen and women on board and those senators, uh, if he loses the support of those in, in, uh, in the Congress, he is going to be stymied. And this has happened in American history in the past. And so you are absolutely right. But his biggest power, I argue, is more the power of the bully pulpit Mm. to command the world and American national attention on him and on what he is saying and thinking and proposing.
0: Ian Lee has been with us, Sprout School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated.
2: My pleasure, Scott. Thanks.
0: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900-CHML. I'm going to weigh into Lock Street again because we've uh, got a tweet from Councillor Matthew Green who uh, we've tried desperately to get a hold of him on this. My producer has asked if he'll be available today. They say no. Available tomorrow. They say no. Available this week. They say no. So it's pretty clear that he does not want to talk to us. For whatever reason, I'll let you decide. Here is the tweet from Matthew Green that came out uh, about an hour ago. As a city councillor, one of the fundamental questions I have to frequently ask myself is, whose interests do I represent? It's integral to how, in capitals, and who, in capitals, you govern for. The core of that answer for me rests in my neighbourhood interest. When I ran for office back in 2014, I did so on a promise to, quote, build a safe and vibrant community full of opportunities for everyone regardless of their income or area code, end quote. And with the events of this recent weekend still playing out, how do I know that I'm striking the appropriate community balance of interest? It's become pretty apparent, actually. I have anarchists writing manifestos calling me a gentrifier, and gentrifiers in the media calling me an anarchist. Seems just about right to me. Hashtag, proud to be Ward 3. This does not address anything. This is a man sitting on the fence, trying to decide which side he's going to fall on. So let me make it perfectly clear to you, Councillor Matthew Green, and I hope you're listening intently or some of your followers pass this on to you. I, Scott Thompson, are not calling you anything. The media is not, well, I shouldn't say that. I am not calling you anything. You know why? Because I can't get a hold of you to talk to you. I'm not calling you anything. All I want to do is ask you some simple questions. Number one, do you know who did this? Do you support them or groups like the Tower who condone condone their behavior? You said we should talk to people to find out why. How do we do this when they or you won't talk to us? I'd like to also ask you, do you support the majority of Hamiltons? Because it seems like you're having a hard time understanding which Hamiltonian you represent. And I would say it's quite clear. Law-abiding or violent? Normal people or terrorists? It's quite simple. Another question. Are you having a problem deciphering who you represent and why? How do you know you're striking the right balance, you ask? I would say whether it falls within the law or not. And groups like the Tower are condoning what has happened on Lock Street. So this note, this tweet that I have just had printed off for me, it doesn't address any of this. It doesn't address any solutions. It doesn't address any It doesn't address anything. All it does is explain, kind of, why you're silent. Because you're playing both sides of the street. You're pretending to the one side that you're supporting them, and yet in public, you're not saying anything about it. So I'm not calling you anything please don't start an investigation into how I'm treating you. I am giving you every opportunity to come on the free public airwaves to explain yourself, why you are constantly being linked to these groups and why you put out such a vague tweet as you do. My other question is, do you feel you are representing the majority of Hamiltonians, even those in and out of your ward? Because I would suggest it appears you're not speaking up against the violence. It seems that you're not condemning what happened on Saturday night. Why? And why won't you come on and and talk to us? The counselor is as silent as the tower is, as the book fair people are. And as the ungovernables are. And you're wondering why people are drawing conclusions? Radio silence, that's why. I'm getting texts from people. Uh, I won't bother looking for it now. Why, this man works for City Hall. Why is he not speaking out against this? Why is he not speaking, period? Period. Instead of hiding behind a keyboard, trying to figure out whose interests he does represent. Whose interests do I represent? I would hope it would be law-abiding citizens. That seems like a no-brainer to me. So by not coming out and explaining to us all the reasoning behind this, the logic behind this, the future behind this, The solution behind this, this is almost like Trump. I just like it if the two sides are fighting. Seems just about right to me. Proud to be Ward 3. Well, that's nice. I would hope you're proud to be Ward 3. But what are you doing about this? What are your comments on this as as a city councillor? for the city of Hamilton why aren't you talking about this instead of talking about your own dilemma which is trying to trying to figure out a balance between all of this whose interests you really represent so again you know i can understand if you want to stick up for these people i want i can understand if you want to help their voices be heard i get it That's what we're doing. But I'm getting radio silence from this guy. He refuses to come on our show. He refuses to talk about this. What he needs to do is come out and condemn this unlawful behavior. And then he needs to try to find a solution. That's what democracy is. So, which side, who do you represent? My question, and here's another one for you, and I'd love for you to come in and uh, and answer them. Do you represent anarchists or law-abiding citizens? It's quite simple. So, you know, you've you've crafted this beautiful, long tweet. and, 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 And your conclusion is this. It's become pretty apparent actually, about striking the balance. I have anarchists writing manifestos calling me a gentrifier and gentrifiers in the media. What I- Here's another question. What is a gentrifier in the media? What does that mean? What does any of this mean? I would like for you to come and explain it to us instead of hiding behind your anarchist friends, your tower, your book fair, and your keyboard. You're a city councillor. Stand up and talk. Be heard. Let's hear what you have to say. And you tell us all, please, whose interests you represent. Law-abiding citizens or anarchists? It seems quite simple. And you seem to be happy with riding the fence between the two. And counselor, let me tell you, you can't do that. Not in this city and not in any Canadian city. You can't stand on the fence between law-abiding citizens and anarchists and say that you're listening to both sides. This isn't about left and right. This isn't about your political view. This is about right versus wrong. And by your radio silence and not coming out and speaking to the city about this. How do you call yourself a city councillor? You might be a Ward 3 activist. I didn't call you that. I said you might be. But these are the conclusions that you're assuming people are coming to because you're just not talking. Whose interests do I represent? As a city councillor, one of the fundamental questions I have to frequently ask myself is, Whose interests do I represent? I can understand that when you're fighting over area ratings. Stop signs, potholes, whatever. But when you're talking about right and wrong, lawful and violence terrorism, and the average citizen. I don't think you got to ask yourself that question here, counselor. And I think Hamiltonians have to now ask themselves why they voted for a counselor whose interests they're not sure they're representing at all. the, The counselor doesn't know whose interests he represents. How does a counselor like that get voted in? And now I believe he has to explain to his constituents whose interests he does represent. Law-abiding citizens or anarchy. You can't ride both sides of this fence, counselor. Hamiltonians will not let you get away with that. That's just politics. That's just buying votes. We can see through that. And that's why we elected great young councillors like yourself. This is incredibly disappointing. Silence is what we got from the old council. Now we're getting it from the young guys too. Hiding their special interest. Whose interest do I represent? If you've got a hard time understanding whose interest you represent on Lock Street, you should stand up and tell your constituents that. You should stand up and tell City Hall that. Because everybody will say demonstration is about encouraging debate, discussion. These people are silent. They did their damage and then they run and hid. They ran away. They ran into the streets. They tore off their little hoodies and they ran away. And then you got places like the Tower complaining. Some right-wing goon busted my window. Well, what about the left wing goons that beat up Lock Street? You're all goons. You're all extremists. I'm referring to the tower now, not you, Matthew. Just so you know, I'm not trying to insult you here. I'm just trying to get answers from a leader in this city who is quiet. I wonder if he's talking to the tower. I wonder if he's talking to the anarchists. I wonder if he's talking to the people at the book fair. Because he's certainly not talking to us, and he's certainly not talking to you. Stand up, Matthew Green. Tell us how you feel. Tell us whose interests you represent on Lock Street. The lawful or the unlawful. It's pretty simple, Matthew Green. Let's hear from you. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.